away. Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we remember the great David Braley, Hamilton businessman, owner of the BC Lions. He owned the Argos. He owned the Ticats. And boy, was he a presence in the Hamilton community, as we learned from CHML's Rick Zamperin. We'll also head to L.A. to talk to sports reporter Ted Sobel, as the Dodgers are so close to winning their first World Series title in 32 years. That's all coming up on the podcast. And we will go to Hamilton now and talk with Rick Zamperin, sports director at CHML in Hamilton. Rick, thanks for joining the show tonight. Hey, Kristen. Thank you very much. How big a presence is David Braley in Hamilton? Oh, enormous. Absolutely enormous. One of the titans of the community. And I would, I, you know, I would say one of the titans of the CFL. And I don't think, you know, as we look at the CFL right now, I don't think we can look at it uh, any other way and not think of David Braley because he saved not one, not two, but three franchises from impending doom. You know, the Tiger Cats in 89 when Harold Ballard was trying to, you know, let the team go basically and, and no one else wanted it. David Braley basically said, okay, I'll do it. So he owned the team from 89 to, to 92 and it was returned to a, a community owned franchise at that point. Um, Braley realized that the BC Lions run their last legs in the mid nineties and decided to pony up again and buy that franchise, knowing how important uh, the lions were to the Canadian football league. And he did it again in 2010, all while still owning the Lions. And he bought the Toronto Argos because David Cinnamon and Howard Sokolowski, the previous owners in TO, didn't want to pay the bills anymore in, in Toronto. So Braley again bought another team and ultimately sold that uh, to MLSE. But I, I mean, he was a master negotiator. Um, had his eye towards the bottom line to make this league as healthy as it could be. Um, again, I don't think there'd be a CFL, at least as we know it today, without a guy like David Braley. The way I look at it, Rick, is that this is a guy that loved Canadian football and would be the first to literally put his money where his mouth is. Without a doubt. I mean, how many other people <laughs> have been willing or, or have even thought about purchasing one CFL franchise. And he had three and two of them at the same time. Uh, I mean, he, he basically owned just about a quarter of the league at one point. Um, a, a, an unbelievable passion for the game. Um, he knows, um, you know, he knew how important this league was to Canadians and was not willing to let it die on the vine. He, he saw something great in this league and, you know, where, where others might think of, hey, you know, it's just, a, you know, another sports league or, you know, it doesn't compare to the NFL because, you know, it doesn't have as much money or as many teams or, you know, uh, the, the, the quality of players perhaps in some people's minds, but David really saw the league for what it is, uh, you know, a national treasure, a fabric of many communities uh, across this nation. And he thought and and rightfully so that it was worthwhile to keep this thing going and and to do that you know he to do it with three different teams is just absolutely incredible and his death comes at a time when perhaps they were looking to sell the team in BC but also now the rockiest point of the CFL's 
existence since when? Yeah, I mean, since, uh, you know, a long, long, long time. At, at least, you know, from a Hamilton perspective, we can probably look back to 2003 and the bankrupt year of the Tiger Cats. That was really a low point in this city and, and, and the franchise's history. Um, certainly in, in 95, when the community was rallying around the team to to purchase it, to, to make sure it didn't die again. But yes, from a from a league as a whole standpoint, this is certainly the darkest of days because you know we we just had a season scrapped by the pandemic, and you know looking towards 2021, I think we're all hoping that some kind of answer is out there, whether it's a vaccine or some kind of doable model that makes the league and and the teams some money while still playing games. You know, there's still a big red flag or a big question mark hanging over this league heading into next year. Uh, and, it, you know, it's kind of sad to think that David Brilly is not going to be a part of the solution. But uh, I'm sure, you know, come come next year when the the big minds of this league, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, all the owners and the Board of Governors kind of put their heads together to say, hey, how, how are we going to make this thing work? Um, I think they'll, they'll probably have, you know, Braley in mind and, and kind of harken back to some of the big decisions that he made in his day. And uh, hopefully they do the right thing. And the thing about Braley, too, is that he was not just willing to put his money where his mouth was when it comes to a football point of view, but this is a guy who gave back a lot of money to the Hamilton community, especially his school, McMaster, yeah. donated a ton of money to that school and uh, hospitals in Hamilton, too. Yeah, you know, just an un- incredible philanthropist. Here is a guy who made tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, really, in his day, owning a an auto parts manufacturing you know empire, basically. Uh, and, you know, he could have pocketed that and had a lot of fun with it. I'm sure he did. But uh, he has, and I think the Ticats uh, did some calculation, uh, has donated $125 million throughout this community. So whether it's McMaster University is on the matter, uh, you know, a bunch of the local hospitals, uh, not only for healthcare needs, but research funding, um, you know, Mohawk College, the Royal Botanical Gardens, which is a place in town where it's just a magical kind of, uh, escape for people who who love uh, you know the the environment and nature. Um, yeah, he wasn't shy about uh, letting people know that he was donating, not because he wanted his name on things, but because he wanted to make Hamilton the best place it could be. And through that research funding and through that uh, you know those investments in school and education, um, it really kind of changed the landscape of this city from a blue collar, you know, gritty, grimy kind of steel town. And there's certain parts of the city it still is, but um, you know, a lot of a lot of healthcare, a lot of research, a lot of education spending through his bank account has really changed, you know, the, the perception of, of this city, that's for sure. And he also gave back in BC as well in uh, 07 mm-hmm. awarded a, a or presented with an award from the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association for similar philanthropic and charitable contributions. So really, ultimately, Rick, a, a giant in the CFL community uh, whose legacy is as an owner, you know, there aren't a lot of parallels to him over the course of the history of this league. Part of that is because there are community-owned teams, but also yeah. because of just the how, the longevity and the success. Yeah, and I think there, there, if there are any detractors, uh, you know, they probably say that, that Braley was maybe a little too tight with the budgets of the CFL teams that he had held. But, you know, the formula for him worked and it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, a lavish spending or, uh, you know, adding uh, adding to the budget in terms of, you know, frills and, and things that would, 
you know, make a little bit of a splash. He was, you know, focused on making each of the teams that he did own uh, financially successful, number one, and number two, or maybe even really a close second, would be successful on the field. And if they were that, you know, they'd be hosting Grey Cups or playing in Grey Cups or winning Grey Cups, and he won a few of those as well. So uh, he's going to be sorely missed. There's no doubt about that in CFL circles, and, and that's a, a definite um, in, in Hamilton as well. He was an absolute uh, icon in this city. Finally, Rick, just that city, how is it coping right now with it being October 26th and there's no football? It's rough. You know, it, it, it was a rough summer. It was a rough fall. You know, certainly the idea of the, the, the bubble format in Winnipeg was, you know, enticing, uh, even though everyone thought that, you know, there, it may not have, uh, you know, worked. And ultimately it didn't because of the financial aspects of it, and, you know, the, the money that had to be put behind the testing and, and whatnot, uh, you know, not having a reworked CBA with the players kind of, you know, really hurt. But, you know, from a fan perspective, it, w- it was a long long summer and fall and, and not having football for a whole year. And even more than that, when you consider last off season and now this off season, now there's a lot of football fans in this city that are just really bummed out. And the one, if there is a saving grace and hopefully it comes to be is that Hamilton is hosting next year's gray cup and the tie cats not too long ago, I think it was last week or the week before, you know, basically came out saying that, you know, they are still focused on hosting the gray cup in, in 2021 um, and and they should be because you know there's there's a lot of planning that goes into that that's 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 an event that's a game that you don't plan in a month or a couple months or even a year teams are you know looking forward to that you know 14 to 18 months out and yeah there's going to be a lot of pressure on this city on the franchise to host a an amazing game especially if there's some kind of shortened or truncated season in 2021. Uh, it's not going to be easy. There are no easy answers, and, and you know the price tag is still going to be enormous. But uh, you know if they are allowed to play, I'm pretty confident that the city and and uh, the Tiger Cats have put on a pretty good show. Well, God willing, a year from now we're able to celebrate and watch football again, Rick. I appreciate your time tonight, and uh, have a great. I, I, it's not an off season, but just I guess have a have a good time until we get CFL back. Hopefully, it's sooner rather yeah. than later. Same to you guys. Stay warm. Tomorrow could be a, a great sports news day in Los Angeles. They've already got an NBA title this month. They're hoping to add a World Series title to the mantle. The L.A. Dodgers one win away. And for more on their journey to this spot, we're joined by L.A. sports reporter Ted Sobel. Ted, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. How's uh, one of my favorite old IHL cities? We're doing well. A little cooler here, I imagine, than it is down there in Los Angeles. Uh, for you, Ted, first of all, following this World Series, I'm sure you'd, you'd much rather be at Dodger Stadium following this with the chance to clinch tomorrow <laughs> night. But how weird has it been kind of looking at it from afar? Well, it's extremely weird for me, of all people. Uh, you know, this is the 12th World Series that the Dodgers have been in since they moved from Brooklyn. And I've been to nine of them, uh, covered several of them, and the first few that I, I got to go as a kid. I missed 1959. I was six years old, so my dad didn't take me. In 1978, I got my first minor league hockey job as a play-by-play guy, so I was gone in October. And so this is the first other one that I've missed, and uh, it's weird. I mean, I've been a, basically a season credential holder on and off for over uh, 35 years, 
and uh, they don't need radio guys right now <laughs> accredited. So it's fine. It's it's very strange, but I'm enjoying it. And uh, there's nothing like, though, being at a World Series game and the atmosphere at Dodger Stadium three of the last four years has just been incredible. Well, in three of the last four years, yes, they've been there. And one of the big stories pretty much since baseball was supposed to start in April was will the Dodgers win this year? They were the overwhelming favorites going into the season because – they were, they've been one of the best teams the last five years, and they went out and got Mookie Betts, who was one of the best players in baseball. And yep. here they are, down 3-1 to the Atlanta Braves, and people are thinking, oh, are they going to choke again? Now they're <laughs> one win away from the World Series. It's almost like they needed those valleys to finally reach the summit here. Well, I don't know if they needed them, but, you know, I'll tell you what, you sound like a typical Dodger fan. Uh, you know, they're, they're all worried. They're all nervous. The anticipation's crazy. Uh, you know, the Dodgers, as big as the Lakers are, the Dodgers have always been number one, although you could say the Lakers are 1A uh, in this city forever, and uh, certainly my entire lifetime. And uh, just the fact that it's been 32 years, you know, they always talk about the great Dodger franchise. Well, they haven't won that many titles when you look at it, really. It's certainly not compared to the Yankees or the, the elite of the elite. So uh, a lot of that is hype and marketing and uh, it's always fun to talk about, but the fans are, they're just uh, overdue. Let's put it that way. They want a championship here real badly. Although like the Lakers, if they win it, we're not going to have any parade or anything. So you're just going to have to enjoy it from afar with a mask on, but it's uh, a lot better than not ever getting it. And there's no asterisk here because it's as difficult as it gets just to do what they're doing this year as any other year. So a title's a title, even though you only needed 60 games to get there. Well, they had the shortened season, they had the expanded playoffs, but the Final Four were probably the Final Four you thought it'd be yep, when you exactly. started the season, right, with Houston and Atlanta being the other two teams in the Final Four. Tampa Bay is a valiant opponent. Their offense isn't nearly as deep as the L.A. Dodgers have been. But for this team, I'm curious your thoughts, the fact that the D.H. is now in both leagues. How much does having a D.H. help the L.A. Dodgers out with getting another big bat in the lineup? Well, it helps a lot, but, uh, you know, they at the start of this whole thing, when they announced that these games are going to be played in Texas at the new stadium, the concern that I had and some other guys in the in along the beach side was the fact that, uh, you know, this is not a home-run hitting ballpark, and I thought it was going to affect the team a lot more. But I guess when you crush them uh, 450 feet, it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm not the, one of these guys that thinks you should be swinging for the fence no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the pitch. But, you know, those are the, the Cody Bellingers of the world. That's what he does. It's, it's swing for the fences or strike out, and that's just the new game, and uh, we have to deal with that. But I, I really thought that was going to affect the Dodgers a lot more than, the, of course, the DH. You had an extra bat, and the Dodgers have as deep a roster as anybody offensively. But to me, it's uh, as much about the pitching as it is about the home run hitting, and uh, it's really down to the bullpens now specifically the last two games. We're not going to see complete games tomorrow by either, not even close. So uh, who's going to be sharp and who's going to come through in the clutch? Well, we know the Dodgers are going to be going with Tony Gonsolin, and the expectation, I'd imagine, is they'd love it if he got through two, right? No, that's not fair. No, actually, you Three know, since the last game. Well, no, you know what? The, the first two games that he's pitched, or I should say the last two games he's pitched in the postseason, um, he was basically told, you're going to be used when we're going to use you. 
and he's more used to being a starter or a long relief man. So this is the first time in the last few weeks that he is actually normal rest. Um, he is raring to go. They're saying he's not an opener. As they're using that term. I haven't even heard that before. He's not an opener. He's a starter this time, a real starter. I think he can go four or five innings if he's sharp. You know, if he's not, they're going to pull him fast. But uh, if he's reasonably sharp, I think they want him to go minimum four, hopefully five, and then the rest of the bullpen after that. You know, the other guy, uh, Blake Snell, he hasn't pitched more than six innings all year. So, and he tends to be, get off to a really good start, and then he he uh, will give up a lot of more hits and runs in the last few innings of his of his stints. And I think if he goes four solid innings, they'll be thrilled with that. Anything after that is gravy. Well, he was no hitting the Dodgers through four and two thirds last time out, and he didn't get another out. It was a couple walks, exactly. a couple hits. One That's of them was a home run, That's, and then he's out of know, the lineup. He, Totally. You're exactly correct. And, you know, because they know when he falls apart, he falls apart quickly. That's been his uh, MO for since he's been back uh, after the surgery. And remember, he was the Cy Young Award winner just a couple of years ago. So he's not the same. He has the same stuff. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's physical, mental or a little bit of both. He just can't get past the sixth inning. And uh, so I don't know why this would be any different. We shall see. Speaking of lefties who have won Cy Young Awards, Clayton Kershaw, one of the big stories heading into the World Series because he has been in the World Series before and has had some rough outings in the past. He has definitely silenced critics in this series. He definitely got more run support than he has in the past. That's part of it. And he's also been crediting the fact that by the playoffs, he's often pretty tired. Having only a 60-game season, he's got more gas in the tank right now. I totally agree with that. I think that's a major factor this year. And you remember, he also uh, he skipped one game with the back issue, which has been an on and off thing for him for the last few years. Uh, he could be as fresh as he could be. This is a perfect scenario for him. You know, the last game, even though he pitched well a couple of nights ago, um, he wasn't, uh, or I should say last night, he, he wasn't as good uh, as he was the previous outing, but he was good enough. And, you know, he, he uh, if you give up two runs in six innings these days, you're doing really well. So they would take that out of him uh, any time, especially in the World Series. He's got a little bit of a bum rap, I think, that, uh, you know, three or four at least of the really bad outings he's had in the postseason have come because their bullpen was not good at all. And it was either Don Mattingly before uh, uh, Doc Roberts here, you know, depending on who the – who the guys were, the timing of when they wanted to bring in somebody out of the pen, they didn't trust them at all. And so it's a different story now. The Dodgers have a deeper bullpen. Not necessarily the best in the world, but it's still solid, and they've got different scenarios for every single guy. Um, So I think he's got a little bit of a bad rap for that because they left him in too long because they were desperate. Uh, whether it was one batter long or one inning too long, it's killed his reputation. But you know what? If you're a Hall of Fame pitcher, you got to come through and you got to be better than the other guy that day, and he hasn't been, and uh, his legacy will pay for it. And if he gets a ring this year, that absolutely makes up for a lot of those past troubles because he was good. You know, he was yeah. awesome in game one. He was good enough last night putting exactly. guys on, but getting them out and good pitchers work their way out of trouble, and that's what Clayton Kershaw was able to do. 
Exactly. I, I don't think uh, if the Dodgers win a ring, his legacy will be improved, but it'll probably, we joke around here, uh, on his Hall of Fame plaque, the first sentence will be, the greatest left-handed regular season pitcher of all time. <laughs> it doesn't clear up everything from the past, but uh, a ring is a ring, and they'll take it. So to get that ring, Ted Sobel, L.A. sports reporter, they're going to have to uh, get to either Blake Snell or, if it comes to a Game 7, Charlie Morton. But focusing yep. on tomorrow first, are we gonna? is it going to be the guys we're used to seeing in this series, Corey Seager, Mookie Betts, or are we looking at maybe an unsung hero as we've seen in games this postseason, like an Austin Barnes coming through? No, I, oh, I certainly don't expect Austin Barnes to come through in this. You know what? It's it's going to be a loaded right-handed hitting lineup, certainly against the lefty Snell. Um, I wonder what uh, Roberts is going to do in regards to that. I would assume Jock Peterson is not going to start in this game because he's a left-handed hitter. But they do call him Jocktober for a reason, <laughs> because he tends to come through in the month of October as well as anybody in this uh, roster, which is just amazing because he was awful during the regular season. And he also had some personal issues with some family stuff and uh, and his new uh, newborn kid. So all that came into play this season as well. And he, he wasn't even supposed to be with the Dodgers originally. Uh, they were they had him traded to the Angels and the. Uh, the Halos owner turned it down the last minute. So it's a real weird year for him. It's a weird year for everybody on the planet. Uh, I think, look, Mookie Betts and Corey Seager have been unbelievable throughout the entire postseason. Uh, it shouldn't be any different the next game or two if it goes that far. But uh, the fact that Corey's a lefty on lefty, I would expect Mookie Betts to shorten up the swing a little bit and hit a few more line drives. Uh, he's been unbelievable. But it will be a right-handed laden uh, uh, line up tomorrow for sure against Blake Snell. Finally, Ted, how much confidence do the Dodgers have in Walker Bueller if it comes down to a game seven? Oh, a ton. He's so good. And you know what? He has the absolutely best attitude and, uh, and personality for a game seven as anybody on this roster. He is just, he is just a, like a you know, straightforward. Nothing seems to bother him. Uh, he'll have butterflies because he's human. But he has such good stuff right now. As long as he doesn't have to deal with this little blister issue, which has not been a problem the last couple of starts, he's the guy they want. He's the guy almost any team would want right now. He's a top two or three pitcher in the in the majors. As far as who would you run for a game seven to win the series? It's Walker Bueller. Uh, they don't want to get that far, but if they got to go there, he'll be ready. And uh, if for whatever reason Bueller's not on his game, uh, Julio Urias will be there as well and you expect those two to be the keys to game seven and i expect you're pretty confident the dodgers will get it done am i confident well you know it's it's better being up three two than down two three uh mm -hmm. sure i mean you know the fact that you've got bueller if you need a game seven absolutely i would take bueller over charlie morton any day of the week uh it should be the first championship in 32 years Let's see what happens. Still got to play it on the field. Nothing comes easy. The Rays are one tough team to deal with. Look forward to checking out to see how it goes. Ted Sobel, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for asking me. All the best up there. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. 
If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?